Welcome to the podcast of New Covenant Church in Albuquerque, where we focus on the Bible, faith, and life issues. We hope this podcast will be helpful to you on your faith journey. Now, here's our message. Well, good morning, everybody. Beautiful day to be here worshiping the Lord. Hello to everybody watching at home. You know, I've said this at at the TV station for over 30 years now, but for those of you watching online, we can't wait till we get the two-way cameras installed. It'll be much more interesting to have you join us at that point in time here. We, 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 we know how dressed up you are at home. Thank you for joining us. Join me in a quick prayer, please. May the words of my mouth and the thoughts of my heart be pleasing to you, O God, my rock and my redeemer. And I pray for every person within the sound of this microphone, Lord, that we could clear our minds, clear our heads, forget about our daily worries and our troubles and our fears and our anxieties and concerns, Lord. Even the things that may be fun and enjoyable, help us just wipe them off of our minds right now and to think only of you, to hear your word this morning and to put it into action in our lives in the days to come. And we pray these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Well, under the premise that our world has a lot of serious problems and issues that could be made right by simply reading, believing, and following the words of Jesus, like the song said, if he said it, we believe it, right? We're going to continue our series titled, The Red Letters Jesus Said, and today's subtitle is, My Time Has Come. I'm attempting to tie in our ongoing study into the Sermon on the Mount with Palm Sunday by crossing over back and forth between the two narratives because I believe the things that Jesus did and said during this time are a beautiful example of living out several of the attitudes he taught us to strive for in teaching the Beatitudes. And I'm focusing on three of them this morning. Out of Matthew 5, verse 4, God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are meek, for they will inherit the whole earth. And verse 6, God blesses those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Today we look at a very important event in church history that we call Palm Sunday. Now you probably won't find that term in scripture it's a name that we have given to a very significant sunday when jesus fulfilled key prophecies from scripture on his way to fulfill even more biblical predictions his arrest trial crucifixion death and resurrection and the days from palm sunday to what we now call easter represent the culmination of the entire ministry of jesus of the reason he came to this earth to live for a season fully God fully man for only 33 years and then to die so that our sins could be forgiven the significance of Palm Sunday is evident by the fact it's described in all four 
of the Gospels. Not everything that happened throughout the lifetime of Jesus is like that. And I recommend that you read all four accounts this week. They're each short and informative and can be very moving and they'll help you prepare spiritually for Good Friday and Easter that's coming up. And you'll find them in Matthew 21, 1, Mark 11, 1, Luke 19, 28, and John 12, 12. You probably couldn't write fast enough to get those all down. But if you didn't get those, you can find them in your study Bible in what's called the Harmony of the Gospels. And it's a list of all the special events involved with Jesus' ministry, usually right before Matthew at the end of the Old Testament or right in between the book of John and the book of Acts. And each different Gospel account of Palm Sunday gives us a few details that aren't all listed in the others and we'll share passages from several of them going back and forth today in your Bible as I mentioned it's not highlighted as Palm Sunday it's probably captioned as the triumphal entry into Jerusalem and we'll understand why as we summarize what happened on this one-of-a-kind day it was time for Passover an incredibly important annual remembrance of the Jews being freed from 400 years of slavery in Egypt. And during the time of Moses, the Israelites, who were slaves to the Egyptians, had been instructed to smear the blood of the lamb or a young goat over the entry of the door to their homes. And this was a mark from God that protected them and their family. The angel of death visited the homes of all the Egyptians that night, taking their firstborn sons, but passing over the Jewish homes. And that's where the name Passover comes from. Now, sadly, it took this extreme action from the Lord, this horrible tragedy, to finally convince the Pharaoh of Egypt to free the Jews from their long and dreadful slavery. And the Lord commanded them to remember and celebrate Passover every year forever. And that's exactly what they were doing 1,400 years later, there were huge masses of faithful Jews who'd come to Jerusalem from all over by the tens and hundreds of thousands when Jesus came riding into Jerusalem on the colt of a donkey. And that takes us to our first scripture this morning. Matthew 21.4 reads, This took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, Tell the people of Jerusalem, Look, your king is coming to you. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. Now that's a well-known prophecy, especially back in that day, from Zechariah 9.9 that had been written 500 years earlier. The donkey was a lowly animal, uh, thought of as a symbol of princely peace. Back in the days of King David, before horses became widely used, kings often rode donkeys. And the term humble which could also in those days mean gentle or meek, takes us back to the Beatitudes. Verse 5, God blesses those who are meek, for they will inherit the whole earth. And in many translations, as I said, instead of meek, the word humble is used in this modern-day time frame. Meek's not a word that many of us want to be associated with or compared to today, is it? It conveys a sense of weakness, someone who's timid, afraid, not willing to speak up or to stand up against an opponent. But that's 
a misunderstanding through the changes in our languages over the centuries. Back then, the word meek was a compliment. It conveyed the sense of strength or power under control. A big, strong, well-trained horse under the guidance of a skilled rider was considered meek. That was a good thing. Power and strength under control is exactly what Jesus conveyed that day. Without a doubt, this was him boldly but very calmly telling the whole world, I am the Messiah. Clearly stating, my time has come to assume my rightful place in this world. Now, even with all the fanfare and the worship and the adoration from the crowds, Jesus remained humble, but he was literally declaring, I am the Son of God, the King of all creation. Yet he gently rode in quietly on the colt of a donkey. Now, we can't help in today's mindset not imagining that something more fit for a conquering hero like a, a prancing war horse or a shiny chariot would have been more appropriate. Something with zing, a little bling, like we like in our cars these days, right? Quite unlike our movie stars or sports heroes today who want to strut and flex every time they catch a pass or sack the quarterback, right? I mean, they, they catch a 15-yard pass for a first down and it's... And sometimes they point to God showing their humility. But I mean, it, 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 it's, just, it, it's just too much. They certainly have skill and power, but, but where's the self-control, right? Good coaches always teach their players, hey, act like you've been there before. Zechariah 9.9 says, God will take away the war horses and chariots from Egypt. If you read further beyond the verse about the donkey. So that's why Jesus came in as he did. And being humble is a good thing. And oh, man, have I learned the hard way. If I don't humble myself, God will. Now, I, you know, been married for almost 30 years. I have a wife and three daughters, so they humble me on a very regular basis. But I have to do it myself because going through God humbling us is not pleasant can be very, very difficult, and he will. True humility is about recognizing that no matter how much success we have, no matter how well we're doing, we are never really all that. Not in God's eyes. He's the source of everything good in our lives, and he deserves all the glory. Now, of course, Jesus was God, but he came to us from the very start, very humbly, born in a stable, and he left this life humbled, humiliated, hung on a cross. John 12, 12 says, the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city. A large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and went down the road to meet him. In those days, the date palm was a, a celebratory symbol of Jewish nationalism people who loved the nation and identified with it above all else. And many of the people assumed that Jesus was coming to be a national political liberator from the Romans. And, and palm branches were also a symbol of rest and peace after sorrow. So the people were expecting Jesus as the one sent from God 
to save them from the cruelty of the Romans and bring them rest and peace after many, many long years of sorrow under Roman rule and oppression. So some of the people laid the palm branches on the pathway along with their coats. Others held them up over the road, creating a palm canopy over the very narrow streets. If you've ever been anywhere around Jerusalem, it's amazing how how slender they are. For Jesus to ride under, sort of a, a shady lane in that hot climate. They shouted, praise God, Hosanna, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the King of Israel. Now, this was in part because word of Lazarus being raised from the dead about a week earlier had swept like wildfire across the region. So many people had seen it, and they couldn't help but go tell everybody else. So the crowds were in a frenzy to see that Jesus was coming to the holy city. This must be the Messiah, and he's coming to set us free, just like God did back at the original Passover. Jerusalem just longed, craved, to chase out the Roman rulers, and they were certain this long-awaited king of the Jews would take his throne and rule their world in the way that they desired. Sadly, they didn't know the scriptures or the one who wrote them. And just as the Messiah riding in on a donkey's colt was a fulfillment of prophecy, so was his degrading treatment and betrayal that was just days away. And because they didn't know his heart, they couldn't understand his purpose or even their own motivation. The same adoring masses who welcomed Jesus like royalty would curse and despise him within just a few days, chanting in great unison, crucify him, crucify him. So as we commemorate Palm Sunday, let's all examine our hearts and study scripture and pray. Lord, help us to live for your desires and not our own. And show us the way to truly worship you today so we will be able to praise you in person for eternity. Amen. In Luke 19.36, we see when he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. Again, blessing on the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in highest heaven. But some of the Pharisees, the the legal or the uh, religious rulers among the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. And Jesus replied, if they kept quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. The crowds were just delirious, praising Jesus, and they were quoting ancient scriptures about the Messiah. And the religious leaders were absolutely furious that he would accept this praise as if he were God. And they ordered Jesus, make them stop. And Jesus basically laughed. We forget what a great sense of humor Jesus had. It's so hard to convey tone in in Scripture. But I I, I know he had to have laughed when he said that, you know, the joy that I produce has to come out in human expression somewhere, even if it is from rocks that cheer and sing. Insert the old jokes, world's first rock concert, all of that. I know. (laughs) 
But when Jesus returns to us the next time, the joy they thought they were experiencing that day is going to be even greater, and it will last through eternity. But that future euphoria will only be given to those who embrace him as Lord and Savior right here, right now, today. Bible prophecy came true that day in Jerusalem, and it will again prove to be perfectly accurate very soon. Romans 8, 19 reminds us, for all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who His children really are. And this will include all of humanity and even the animal world. And who knows, maybe even on that day the rocks will burst into cheers when Jesus returns to occupy his rightful throne forever. Now, with all the adoration and seeming acceptance of him as Messiah, you would expect Jesus to be pleased. Not at all. Luke 19.41 reads, But as he came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead, began to weep how I wish that you of all people would understand the way to peace but now it is too late and peace is hidden from your eyes before long your enemies will build ramparts against your walls and encircle you and close in on you from every side they will crush you into the ground and your children with you Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place because you did not recognize it when God visited you. Now those who were watching had to ask, why would Jesus cry? He was finally riding into the holy city as this long-awaited victor we've been waiting forever. Ancient scriptures predicted this moment as declaring him king of the world, God's chosen one, his holy son, the Messiah, the Savior. From all of the people over all of the earth, God chose the Jews to receive his special favor, yet knowing that within hours they would completely reject his son broke God's heart. Jesus wept openly on the way to what should have been mankind's finest day. His week ahead was all downhill, a degrading date with death. And the total destruction he predicted for Jerusalem happened exactly as he described within four decades. Clear across the world, Over 2,000 years later, God is still urging us to understand we can't afford to make the same deadly mistake. We have to open our eyes and clearly realize Jesus is here today through His Holy Spirit to offer us His peace of mind and heart if only we will do our part and accept Him. Recognizing God's Son is the Holy One. Invite Jesus to be your Lord and Savior before it's too late. Life on this earth is too short to risk our eternal fate. And in just a bit, I'm going to give you the opportunity to have the assurance of eternal life. This passage reminds us of the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. 
Jesus truly loved the Jewish people. He was an integral part of the Trinity who created them and selected them to receive God's special love and favor. He came to earth specifically to teach the truth of the Scriptures so they could be saved. Yet as he rode into town that day, he was overcome with grief and sorrow because the chosen ones were going to reject him. And even worse than turning their backs, they were going to hate him, send him to his grave. And so tears rolled down his face. Isaiah 53.3 reminds us, He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with the deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. We have a, sorrow, a, a Savior who's experienced deep sorrow. He knows what it's like to love people and to lose them, to be rejected, humiliated, mistreated. Ever have somebody turn on you? Somebody you've loved or helped or cared about? That hurts. Jesus experienced that with an entire nation that he chose for his love. And he showed us it's okay to grieve and how to grieve. A short time after the crowd's exuberance at the grand arrival of the proclaimed Messiah, things started quieting down, and in the Gospels, and one of them, we read that Jesus went to the temple and looked around and then left, and obviously he went back again a little later because in Luke 19.45 we read, Then Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out the people selling animals for sacrifices. He said to them, The Scriptures declare my temple will be a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. This was the second time Jesus had cleared the money-grubbing merchants out of the temple and it's proof positive that anyone who claims that Jesus is soft, weak, or wimpy doesn't know him at all. Scripture teaches that at one point he used a whip and overturned the tables to make his message clear. And most of those merchants were there as profiteers. They were selling sacrificial animals and birds at exorbitant rates. And they were often the same ones or in partnership with those who would inspect the animals that the people brought from home, finding any sort of imperfection that disqualified them from being eligible for sacrifices. But no problem, I got one right here I can sell you for a price. And money changers would trade in all the currencies of many, many nations because people came from all over the known world for Passover. But they charged excessively to do so, and since they had the exclusive rights and access through the ruling religious leaders, there was no competition to make prices reasonable. Jesus was quoting the prophets Isaiah and Jeremiah to show that what he was doing was biblical. And again, this takes us to one of the Beatitudes that Jesus taught us as how we should be. Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled some translations substitute justice for righteousness. Jesus wasn't chasing these people out for his own interest. He was protecting the poor, the working class, the average barely getting by families who wanted to honor the Lord with their sacrifices. And they wanted to worship, to be a blessing 
but they were repeatedly taken advantage of by unscrupulous money merchants who weren't there to help others worship the Lord, but just to line their own pockets. This was an abomination to Jesus, to his Father, and to the Holy Spirit. And it's easy for us to look down on those people, but we must keep in mind our own behaviors. It's not just about looking out for ourselves, our family, our friends, and those in this church. We have to be careful when we have fundraisers in the foyer or, or the car washes, like I stopped by yesterday, the kids were out there doing, our retreats, anything that we make sure it's all about God's kingdom and financially fair and accessible to all. That's why so often during the announcements you hear us say, hey, if you can't afford the Bible study or you want to go to this and you can't do it, come, come, talk, let, let's, let's be family, let's help each other. As Christians, we have to be committed to live righteously and to pursue justice for others. We're all about justice for ourselves. That comes naturally. But for others, that means protecting those who can't protect themselves, standing up for those who are unable to do so, being a voice for those who are afraid or unable to speak up against injustice and prejudice and many other evil things, as well to uh, protect the weak from being mistreated, taking advantage of by the powerful. We work hard to do this with our families in the Compassion Ministry here at New Covenant, but we must all strive to be much more aware of what goes on around us and what those who don't have as much as we have deal with and how they perceive things on a daily basis. And we must hold ourselves to an ongoing high standard of honesty, trustworthiness, fair play, and godly honor. And in pursuing righteousness, we must be fully aware and very cautious that we don't flip it and become self-righteous, like the Pharisees and the religious leaders who thought they had God all figured out. No problem. I'm good. Jesus predicted his death in John 12, 20. Interesting story. We read that some Greeks had come to Jerusalem for the Passover celebration. They paid a visit to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and they said, Sir, we want to meet Jesus. Philip told Andrew, and together they went to ask Jesus. Jesus said, Now the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory. I tell you the truth. Unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Now, is it just me, or did that reply from Jesus seem to totally ignore their request? The original text has some indications that the Greeks had asked this favor repeatedly. We want to meet Jesus. And they seem quite determined, intent on getting their message to the Lord. And William McDonald says the Greeks probably wanted to meet Jesus um, because they were Gentiles who had converted Judaism. And then them coming to Jesus at this time is a picture of the fact that when the Jews rejected the Lord, the Gentiles were then allowed to hear the gospel. So many of them would believe. And we have to remember that until this time, with very few exceptions, Jesus told the disciples not to share the gospel with anyone outside of the Jewish people. And isn't it interesting that through God's perfect plan, 
that Gentiles visited Jesus when he was first born and again just before he died. And concerning the Jewish people turning away, it's bittersweet that their rejection triggered our reception. And today the tables have turned. There are many groups of Gentiles who are still working tirelessly to save God's chosen people, the Jews. Jews for Jesus is one of the wonderful groups out there working very, very hard and consistently to do that. Now, I, I love it that McDonald speculates that maybe these Greeks heard of, understood the danger Jesus was in and were offering to save his life. Maybe by running away with them, going to Greece, their, their message was relayed to the Apostle Philip. He had a Greek name, so maybe they thought there'd be a connection. And when we read straight through the Scripture, Jesus' response, as I said, seems to ignore that request and starts talking about a totally different subject. But if their request was an offer for Jesus to seek safety with them in Greece, then his reply makes perfect sense because he was basically saying that, no, I can't run away. I have to stay here and die. Let's look again at his response. Now the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Warren Wiersbe says, Jesus used the image of a seed to illustrate the great spiritual truth that there can be no glory without suffering, no fruitful life without death, no victory without surrender. By itself, a seed is weak and useless. But when it's planted, it dies and becomes fruitful. There's both beauty and bounty when a seed dies and fulfills its purpose. As God's children, we are like seeds, small and seemingly insignificant, but with abundant life inside us just waiting to burst out into beautiful magnification and multiplication. For God's kingdom and our life plan the reason God placed us here in this very building at this very moment can never be fulfilled unless we yield ourselves to the Lord and allow him to plant us where we grow best even if that happens to be here in the dry dusty hot desert southwest we must agree to die to ourselves so we can live for the Lord. Now, this doesn't mean that we should wish to die today or that we're careless or destructive with the body, with the life that God has given us, but that we are willing to die if doing so will we'll glorify Christ. Dying to ourself is more about giving up our natural constant quest to have more, to have an advantage, to go for security, our need for power our desire for position and personal pleasure so that we can focus on serving God completely instead. Dying to ourselves is basically releasing control of our lives and transferring control to Christ in exchange for the eternal life and genuine joy. In verse 25, Jesus said, those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. Our Savior was excellent at breaking down complex issues so simple people like me could understand. He explained his death and burial here in a way that made 
perfect sense to a society that depended on farming and gardening in order to eat to survive. He equated his body being buried with a kernel of wheat being planted in the ground. Its death allowed it to produce a much more plentiful harvest and then reproduce again and again. And Jesus cared so much for us that he didn't care what happened to him. He loved our lives more than he loved his own. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus took away all of our sin from right now all the way to back then. And his seed has been reproduced in us continuously since. 2,000 years later, the sacrifice of his one life has produced untold hundreds of millions of saved souls who will spend eternity in paradise with us worshiping our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And we ourselves magnify and multiply his sacrifice by planting his seeds of salvation with everyone we meet. In verse 26, Jesus said, anyone who wants to serve me must follow me because my servants must be where I am and the Father will honor anyone who serves me. Notice the word anyone, Jew, Greek, Gentile, black, brown, native, Anglo, Asian, anyone and everyone. Jesus challenges us to surrender to his call. We make the choice ourselves between uselessness or fruitfulness. Serving ourself or serving our Savior. And it's time to ask, what do I really care more about? Comfort? Convenience? Living carefree with very little strife? Or the calling of Jesus in my heart and my life? We have a young man who's been part of this fellowship for about 10 years. Peter Scott was raised up here at NCC. And um, he's leaving his family and friends here to go live in Mexico for advanced training on learning to communicate with unreached language groups of people so he and his team can teach them the gospel. And we'll have details on him going soon. It doesn't happen until later this summer. We're going to introduce you and, and let you know what he's doing. Uh, his mother, Angela, has been a, a servant at this church, beautiful, a helpful servant for many, many years in the little kids' ministry. And I was asking her this morning, and she, I said, have you always done infants? She goes, no, I started in kindergarten when we first came here because Peter made me. She said, he insisted, I just wanted to come to church and sit here, and he insisted, no, Mom, no, Mom, let's go in and serve the kindergartners. They said they need some help. Are you willing to follow Jesus regardless of how uncertain you feel, how unqualified you are, how difficult and challenging it may be? Start small. Nobody's saying you have to move to Mexico but just take a tiny little step of faith to answer the call of God in your heart. For me, it was about 25 years ago. First step was leading a home Bible study. I was scared to death. I had no clue what to do. And then years later, the next thing God put on my heart was going into the jails to minister to young men in lockup. And I know all about ignoring the call because I procrastinated a year or more after I first heard about the opportunity in Jesus put it on my heart to serve. But once I took that small step, I was disappointed in myself that I had missed out by not making an earlier start. We have an urgent and important need for volunteers to lead the littles in our Sunday school classes. With just one service now, that does mean you're going to miss the worship and the message with the adults that you're helping. But if we get enough good volunteers, you'll only have to serve once or twice a month and you'll have a blast, and the kids will love you 
and God and Jesus will be glorified. And I'm confident that as our numbers grow, we'll soon be able to go back to two services, and that'll make it even easier for you to serve in the children's ministry. Talk about not needing any special uh, spiritual gifts. We need help in our coffee shop. You don't have to be a barista either. We'll train you how to put the cup under and pull the spout and hand it out and smile, okay? We have a terrific program that sends weekend food bags to our neighbors at nearby E.G. Ross Elementary where almost 100% of the kids live below the poverty level. And what we do is very nice and much appreciated, but there's so much more that needs to be done. We feed 30 kids every weekend, but it's close to 100 who need help with meals. We have plenty of help with the food ministry, but we want to grow. We want to be able to go and have appreciation lunches and special events for the teachers and the staff. We dream of being able to send volunteers to read to the kids in their classrooms, to do activities after school. But it's just an idea until you decide to start following the call that Jesus has placed in your heart. Ask me later about getting involved with what we call our shine ministry at E.G. Ross Elementary. You know, there's going to be times when doing what God asks, what He expects, is not easy. Jesus knows because Jesus said, Now my soul is deeply troubled. Should I pray, Father, save me from this hour? But this is the very reason I came, Father. Bring glory to Your name. Then a voice spoke from heaven saying, I have already brought glory to my name and I will do so again. When the crowd heard the voice, some thought it was thunder, while others declared an angel had spoken to him. The things Jesus was called to do were very difficult, frightening, over the top. But he didn't complain or ask to avoid the discomfort and pain. He did what he was asked and he glorified God the Father in the process. And can we all say that about the things we're doing or not doing? Jesus said, The voice was for your benefit, not mine. The time for judging this world has come when Satan, the ruler of this world, will be cast out. And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. And he said this to indicate how he was going to die. The crowd responded, we understand from Scripture the Messiah would live forever. How can you say the Son of Man will die? And just who is this Son of Man anyway? Again, they misunderstood Scripture. And I'd be very surprised if many of us Christians, yes, even well-studied pastors and evangelists, are not doing the same thing about Jesus' second coming today. It's human nature. Finally, Jesus said, my light will shine for you for just a little longer Walk in the light while you can, so the darkness will not overtake you. Those who walk in the darkness cannot see where they are going. Put your trust in the light while there is still time. Then you can become children of the light. Jesus said it. I believe it. How about you? After saying these things, Jesus went away and was hidden from them. You know, our world is a very dark place and getting darker every day. Jesus came as a light to show us the way to the eternal brilliance of God's constant presence in paradise. But as the Lord's children, we can't be selfish enough to want to just go alone. The light of Jesus continues to shine on believers today through the workings of His Holy Spirit. And when we let God's light shine on us, the Holy Spirit 
allows his light to shine through us. When we live our lives in the light of Christ, others will see it and be drawn towards it. Next Sunday is Easter. Again, we encourage you to look around for an empty seat near you this morning and to pray for it every day this week. Ask the Lord to put it on your heart as to who you should invite. Don't ask someone to skip their church service. Ask those who don't go, someone who doesn't know the light and the love of Jesus. And, 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 and make it fun. Make it lighthearted. I, smile and say, hey, you know Steve Stucker, the goofy weatherman, he told me to invite you to our Easter Sunday service next week. Will you come with me? Please join me in prayer as the worship team comes up. Great and mighty God, we come before you this morning and thank you for your presence, for your Holy Spirit in this room here. Father, we're so incredibly grateful for all that you've done. And look forward to all that you promise is still to come. And as we head through what many call Holy Week towards Easter, I pray you would put a tug in our heart to spend more time in prayer, more time in your word, more time thinking about who you are and what you mean, more time and attention to the call you may have put in our heart. Lord, it's probably something that wasn't mentioned in the message today, as far as service opportunities, but all of us have a job, and I pray that you would help each and every one of us to find ours, to find our purpose in serving you and in being part of your kingdom. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. You know, last night I was sitting here by myself for about 20, 30 minutes in the dark in this very room, praying for this church, praying for all of you, praying for everyone who's ever come, everyone who will visit in the, in the future, praying that every seat would be filled for not one service, but two services, three services, every week in the days to come, praying that God would lead our church to select just the right person to be our next senior pastor, that he would guide and provide, that he would give us and show us and teach us the way into his brilliance and eternity. And I ask all of you to pray that along with me this week, every day, as we track towards Easter, as you stand up and help us worship to close out this morning's service. Please rise. This concludes today's message. We thank you so much for listening. We'd love for you to connect with us. You can do that at our website, nccabq.org. From there, you can submit any questions, feedback, and your prayer requests. nccabq.org is also where you can learn more about New Covenant Church. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters, browse our online message archive, and even tune in and watch the stream of each weekly message. We hope you'll join us. So, until next time... May the Lord bless you and keep you. May God smile on you and gift you. May God look you full in the face and make you prosper. Have a great week.